and welcome to Didian Hawthorne and the In-Between, your place for everything reading and language related. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Today's episode is a continuation of an unexpected mini-series that we started on the beginning of the detective story, which arguably has its roots in a short story trio published by Edgar Allan Poe between 1841 and 1844. This is the second of the three stories that we are going to cover, so if you haven't yet listened to episode 158 on the first story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe, there's a link in the show notes for this episode at relevanceofliterature.com notes that will help you catch up on the series. Introduction. This is a really interesting short story trio. I haven't read one of these in a long time and obviously I'm still getting my detective shoes on and my maybe my detective gloves on <laughs> um, to be playing this role as a reader, but there's the same characters. We have the same narrator who is more connected to Poe than ever, and we'll talk about that in a second. There is the same detective, uh, Detective Dupont, um, and Dupont is not really a detective. He's sort of uh, an intellectual, and he just has intuitions about things, and he thinks things through really logically, and he has these powers of intuition that... Uh, the narrator slash Poe is really impressed with uh, a la the last story that Dupont was able to figure out within a single afternoon of looking at the scene of a crime. They, the two people uh, that the story concerns, uh, are living in the same house, they have the same habits, and they, essentially what occurred is the reason why they didn't catch wind of this story soon enough, they've caught wind of it really late, really, um, is because they were engaged in some other intellectual tomfoolery, <laughs> intellectual matters that uh, allowed them to really uh, isolate themselves in the sense of they didn't receive any newspapers, they didn't receive any visitors until the detective uh, of the Paris police himself uh, comes to Dupont in search of help. We know that Dupont has become a household name since his first uh, solution came out about the orangutan in the last story. Again, if you did not listen to that episode, what a wild story, <laughs> an incredible ending. Poe does not disappoint in that story. I would recommend listening to it. So since then, Dupont has gained quite a bit of household fame and familiarity in these regions, um, and this person from the Paris police is soliciting Dupont's help in a very interesting, very difficult case. There are a couple timestamps that our narrator gives us just to position us in where we're looking at. 
Um, and they're actually pretty similar to what occurred in real life. Like I said, these short stories were published between 1841 and 1844. The narrator says that the murders in the Rue Morgue were published a year earlier than this story was written, which is true. Uh, the same narrator, of course, Poe slash this friend of Dupont, is writing uh, with us again. His tone is really interesting in the beginning parts of this, um, and it's similar actually in in its in terms of its detachment to the be very beginning of the murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh, it's very ominous and very intellectual in some senses, but it's authoritative on top of all of that. So that authority is new, and my guess is the authority comes from the fact that we've been here before. Um, and are having been in this position as this narrator's readers before, and also maybe the success of the previous case and indeed of the previous short story. The murder of Marie in this story happens two years after the murders at Room Morgue. So it's interesting how he's placing and connecting these two events, even though temporally, they're a bit more distant than we might expect. Let's set up the frame. So believe it or not, this is actually a true story and the colloquial backstory or background of this uh, short story goes that Edgar Allan Poe was trying to solve the mystery of the murder of this girl in New York, Marie Rogers, or Mary Rogers, rather. Um, and he was trying to work through it the best way he knew how as a writer, so he wrote this story. And indeed, the life and death of Marie Roger um, parallels the life and death of Mary Rogers uh, extremely well. And he, Poe that is, uses these similar scenarios in order to work through or try to anticipate the solution and resolution of the murder of Mary Rogers. So Mary Cecilia Rogers uh, was an extremely popular cigar girl in New York. Her body was found in a river floating on top of it. There were uh, some really interesting and mysterious circumstances leading up to her murder, namely that she had gone missing once before, and there was a suicide note in question, and then she, she miraculously reappears after she goes missing, and there's sort of this idea that there was collusion between her boss, the cigar company man, cigar seller and the newspapers at the time who were known for creating scandals that weren't really true. So Mary Rogers returns to the cigar store after this supposed attempt at suicide slash disappearance slash hullabaloo and she goes missing again and they find her body in the river and she's been murdered. Uh, there's a couple mysterious circumstances behind her murder as well, such as potential suitors that she had, as well as her relative degree of fame. Really, it was her beauty and her eminence that attracted customers to the cigar shop, because there were many cigar shops at this time in New York, 
And really it was her persona as a local celebrity that was a big factor in all of these people's attendance. And so there was lots of questions of who she was around and who her various suitors was. Was she having an affair? Was she planning on uh, leaving her mother who was an apartment tenant? Or was it... A deeper story and so Poe here what he does with his fiction is he uses the details that he finds in newspapers uh, he is quite distant um, both temporally and spatially locationally from the murder he can't go there and look at the body or the artifacts himself so he uses the newspapers to piece together the murder in this work of fiction um, and it's really beautifully done and really wonderfully done, but unfortunately the conclusions that Poe makes through Dupont are not true <laughs> and uh, they end up not paralleling the story of Mary Cecilia Rogers very well. But again, it makes for a really interesting exploration of this kind of case and the work that Poe did in the early detective story is really spectacular and is worth highlighting for sure. So Marie Roger is a beautiful French woman. Uh, she is a perfume girl, so instead of the cigar girl that we see in New York, she's a perfume girl in France and uh, her location is quite distant from Dupont and his uh, his Watson, for lack of a better description. Um, Dupont and our narrator, um, she's quite far away from them. And as I introduced before, they have lots of projects that prevent them from looking into the case in a timely manner. So they're looking at very old newspapers uh, from the time of the event. And thankfully for them, the newspapers have been extremely thorough in their uh, interviews of witnesses and their summation of all the evidence. And because of this girl's local popularity, known by probably hundreds if not thousands of people in the area, uh, there's lots of interest and there's lots of public discourse about this particular murder. So she's beautiful, she's 22 years old, she works at the perfumery, she has a high status in her local area. She has gone missing for a week before under mysterious circumstances, and then, pop, she returns. So unlike Marie, Mary Cecilia Rogers, uh, she, Marie Roger, in the story, goes missing for a longer period of time, and that uh, missing period is characterized by her unexpectedly seeing a family member, which everyone thinks is an affair, <laughs> at least that's how I read it, um, instead of this fabricated suicide attempt, but uh, the narrator does make it ambiguous enough where we ask ourselves, is the owner of the perfume shop somehow implicated in this? It seems so, which is a parallel with the real story. Um, and just like the real story, um, very similar at the end here, she goes missing. Uh, in the Marie Roger, in the fictionalized version, she tells her fiancé, who's a boarder in her mother's boarding house, 
to call upon her in the evening at her aunt's house in the city in another city and there's bad weather that night which prevents him from being able to call upon her and then the next day he realizes this there's something wrong here he has this intuition like he's never gonna see her again and she her body turns up in the river Zine, um a couple of days later the police the paris police they can't solve the murder um they feel confident at first uh, and this is another big theme that we did talk about last time is the supposed competence slash incompetence of the police the police feel themselves to be competent at first in these types of murders everything seems straightforward and then after a few days or weeks sometimes even hours that competence and that authority and that confidence starts to wane a little bit uh, and there's sort of the intersection of police incompetence and um, desperation to solve these cases that leads to detectives like Dupont to be contacted and to be enlisted to help solve these cases. And that's just a general trait within this kind of fiction. The Paris police, as I said, can't solve the murder after several days, even though it appears obvious. They offer a pretty hefty reward of 20,000 francs, and the citizens of the town offer an additional reward of 10,000 francs for uh, evidence, for any person who's implicated in the murder, etc. They also, of course, contact Dupont. The evidence. So Dupont obviously cannot go to the scene of the crime. He can't go see the body because the body has already been interred and reinterred because there is a question about the identity of the corpse, meaning that the evidence that the newspaper presents or the collection of newspapers rather present uh, is vital to Dupont's entire assessment of the case. So there's uh, several newspapers that we'll talk about in our summation of the evidence, but essentially what they do is they dramatize the story and they turn it into a whodunit. And Dupont is extremely critical of these newspapers uh, collectively and individually because their writers and their editors seem to take a position before they write the case. So they have positions personally that they end up writing and they end up shifting the facts uh, to fit what they think has occurred. And Dupont rejects all of these conclusions. So the first newspaper that we'll go over is Le Etoile. Uh, this newspaper is probably the worst in terms of Dupont's criticism of it. Um, the focus of this paper is that the corpse uh, found in the Zine is not Marie Rouget's corpse. Uh, and there's a focus on the fact that Marie's corpse was found floating in the river, which usually did not happen uh, for bodies until they're extremely decomposed. And there's a lot of uh, detail going into this on <laughs> Dupont explaining the science of decomposition and bodily gases and fluids. I'm not going to get into that, but I will say this. Um, normally, in this time, when bodies were in the water, um, 
if they were drowned, they would drown and then the gases would, uh, after a period of decomposition, allow the body to rise up. Essentially, what was occurring is the density of the body needs to be less than the water itself. So the body can't be heavier than the so-called gravity of the surrounding water. Um, If it is, it'll sink. If it isn't, it'll start floating. And so the process of decomposition releases a lot of gases and things that allow the body eventually to become much lighter and to float up uh, in the water. What they would do and what they describe in this newspaper is the process of firing a cannon near the shore of the water. And that cannon would essentially disturb the bodies underneath enough for them to start the process of coming up. But the problem with that is that generally those bodies would come up only after a period of several days, like six to seven days. Um, And the timeline of when Marie left and when her body was found is not uh, very conclusive of her being a drowned victim. However, Dupont points out, he obviously disagrees with every part of this, Dupont points out that she was not drowned, and therefore the same conventions don't necessarily apply. He also points out that most of her body is fat, therefore she's going to be a lot less dense in the water. So he walks through several pages, as I said, of this analysis of why her body could be floating, Um, And part of that is that the murderer uh, did not weigh her down, did not weigh the body down when they put the body in the zine. So Dupont's conclusion here is that it is Marie, uh, and there's so many different aspects together that conclusively align with that conclusion that it is Marie, um, such as the flowers in her hat and the way that she dressed, the shoes she wore, um, and certain hairs on her arm, supposedly. So there's lots, essentially lots of evidence, and she was identified conclusively by someone who knew her uh, intimately. And Dupont corroborates, yes, I do think it's Marie, and I do think that it's possible that she was floating, namely because she wasn't a drowned victim, and not sunk at the bottom of the zine. In other words, he does think it's possible that she could have been murdered quite recently and still be floating on the river, which is what Leetois thinks disqualifies this corpse from being Marie. The second newspaper, Le Commerciel, uh, their proposition to this case is that a group of ruffians, a group, uh, really a gang, were responsible for the murder of Marie. And this is further upheld by a third newspaper, Les Soleils, translating to The Sun, which is the main newspaper in the actual case, in the New York case that uh, Edgar Allan Poe was looking at. Uh, The Sun was the main troublemaker in this case, as well as in other debacles. So I find it interesting that Edgar Allan Poe sort of transposes that into this story. Um, But needless to say, 
Um, Le Commerciel, as I said, focuses on the proposition that a gang uh, harassed and murdered Marie and Le Soleil is a summary of the first two newspapers with a focus on this thicket that they find. So there are a couple of testimonies and a couple of things to go over with these newspapers. One is that Marie's fiancé commits suicide next to a patch that they found a few days after the murder. The patch has a handkerchief that says Marie Roger on it. There are strips of torn fabric, but these strips are interesting because they're not just strips torn by thorns, which is what a lot of people think. They're actually strips, just picture a two by four inch strip uh, torn precisely from a garment. And these strips match the corpse's garments. So there are fabrics and there's a coat and a scarf there. So there's definitely a sign of a struggle as well. And there's also a path that looks like a heavy blunt object has been dragged through it. So this thicket becomes a central factor as well in Dupont's uh, observations of the case and he says the evidence on especially the corpse which we're not going to go too much into for people who are a little bit queasier about uh, corpses goes against this proposition that a group of people murdered Marie and disposed of her body because if it was a group of people then there wouldn't have been such a violent struggle and there wouldn't have been so many signs of a struggle in this thicket that they find in a little isolated area off the side of the street. And so if there was a group, they would have easily detained Marie. Uh, there also wouldn't have been a dragging, probably. Uh, they could have just lifted you know, the body after the deed and then they would have been able to get the body into the river, whereas a single person had to make a lasso type situation on the body and out of clothing, out of torn strips of clothing in order to physically carry the weight of the body by pulling it uh, to the river and getting a boat and then disposing of the body off the side of the boat. And so there's so many conclusive pieces of evidence that corroborate this notion of actually it wasn't a group of ruffians and the group of ruffians was the popular opinion because they were politically uh, an extremely hot issue at the time of this murder at least in the fictional story i can't speak for the new york story and so it was a popular opinion just because it was politically popular as well to talk about these ruffians and how they were destroying uh, parts of the city and there was a group of ruffians that did a similar thing to another young girl on the same day and the same river and so the coincidences are very similar in the public eye but Dupont says what is actually the likelihood that we get two instances of the same crime by the same group on the same day at the same site um, and there's just too many things that are slightly off for this conclusion to really hold bearings. 
On page 254, Dupont says this, quote, I need scarcely tell you that this is a far more intricate case than that of the Rue Morgue, from which it differs on one important respect. This is an ordinary, although an atrocious instance of crime. There is nothing particularly outré about it. You will observe that, for this reason, the mystery has been considered easy when, for this reason, it should have been considered difficult of solution." Unquote. There is a gentleman that Marie has been seen with over and over again throughout the witness testimony, and a gentleman whose description is similar enough with her first disappearance of one week um, to this disappearance that there might be some bearing and Dupont really latches onto it. Uh, he says a swarthy gentleman who is a sailor most likely or in the navy, one of those two, um, is the person who Marie Roger uh, was last seen with and may indeed be Marie Roger's murderer. I read from page 281. Quote, an individual has committed the murder. He is alone with the ghost of the departed. He's appalled by what lies motionless before him. The fury of his passion is over, and there is abundant room in his heart for the natural awe of the deed. He has none of that confidence which the presence of numbers inevitably inspires. He is alone with the dead. He trembles and is bewildered. Yet there is a necessity for disposing of the corpse. He bears it to the river, but leaves behind him the other evidences of guilt, for it is difficult, if not impossible, to carry all the burden at once, and it will be easy to return for what is left. But in his toilsome journey to the water, his fears redouble within him. The sounds of life encompass his path. A dozen times he hears or fancies he hears the step of an observer. Even the very lights from the city bewilder him. Yet in time, and by long and frequent pauses of deep agony, he reaches the river's brink and disposes of his ghastly charge, perhaps through the medium of a boat." Unquote. What I find interesting about this passage in particular is that Dupont is walking through the murderer's thoughts and intent, just like Sherlock Holmes would and just like all of these other great detectives would in our typical contemporary fiction setup. Uh, he's retracing the steps in a very similar way to how he was reading, quote unquote, the thoughts of the narrator in the first story when they were on their walk. And it's such an interesting thing because he's doing this out loud. We don't get the sense that it's completely his intuition anymore and he's walking through the steps of the case in a very tangible way from us and this is a big shift uh, from the last story. So Dupont tries to solve the murder to no avail. Uh, the ending honestly is not that satisfying. This is a really long short story, it's 50 plus pages and what I find perhaps even more saddening or perhaps disappointing by the ending is that the fiction has such a see-through cover over it, especially at the time when someone would have read this short story in a contemporary sense, like in 1841-1843, they would have known, and indeed the narrator says point-blank this is about Mary Rogers in the story that it was about a different kind of case. So 
Where I stand on the issue of thinly veiled fiction like this is I wish it was more protected. <laughs> I wish it was more veiled and that the truths within it or the truths that this fiction is seeking to find, I wish they weren't as boldly paralleled with the events of the actual murder, especially because the ending and the suppositions of the story end up being so far from the actual truth. I've posted an article in the show notes from the Smithsonian Magazine about the actual case in question here and about the suppositions that Poe gets extremely wrong. Uh, so if you're interested in that, I would definitely take a look at the parallels of this story and what Poe gets wrong. Nevertheless though, this is another tale and it's in longer form. The form in this distance and the extreme reliance on the newspaper articles, even more than the last short story that we read by Poe, is extremely out of the ordinary. It's extremely interesting. Um, and the way that Poe approaches this story with this thinly veiled metaphor of fiction is worthwhile. Thank you so much for taking a listen to this week's episode. We will be back next Monday with another exciting topic on the world of literature and language. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.